You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? Chris Lopez here, and I've got the crew together, minus Jenny Bayless, to come talk about the June stats for Denver and Springs and Pueblo. We'll be talking mostly Denver this month, since Jenny's out, but we'll give you a quick update on the Springs and lots of general uh, just market chatter. We had a fun time before we hit record this podcast. We're going to jump into it. My panel is Joe Massey, Travis Beer, and Preston Newberry. What's up, guys? How's it going, man? Great hey, to Chris. see all of you, as always. Yeah. Always fun to be back in the studio with you guys and uh, talk a little bit about what's happening in the world. So we're going to start with Travis. He came uh, locked and loaded with questions <laughs> when he walked into the room. So I'm repeat that. Travis, you do some questions started, and stuff on your mind, man. Away. I know. Yeah, you know, I walked in after being locked up in my basement for the last week, right? <laughs> and so I saw some smiling faces. And I started asking questions about the market. I'm just curious what how we're feeling, right? I mean, things are they're different, right, than they were three months ago and maybe even different than last month we sat down. So I started firing them off and you guys started looking at me crazy. So here we are. Yeah, well, fire we away, man. Yeah, I mean, my, you know, my initial question was just what what do you guys think? Like, and, and maybe even further was, do you think we'll see uh, price decreases from a- average or median by the end of the year? That was one thing I threw out. Um, and the other thing is like, how do you think this inventory affects... Um, the market as we get into the fall, right? As there's more stuff available, interest rates are creeping down just a tad, but they are still up significantly than over the last few months. And are the buyers going to come back when uh, when school hits? And one of the things we talked about that could drive that is rents, right? Joe, you, we talked about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Can I go first? You, you sure can, Joe. I think, and I don't have a ton of data to support this. So everybody listening or watching on YouTube, don't flame me because I don't have exact numbers. But I think there is a disparity in the market between buyers and sellers right now. And let's start with sellers. Seller has a neighbor that listed their home in February for $700,000. It went under contract in 15 minutes and it sold for $730,000. Now (laughs) you're into June and they've talked to their agent and they say, hey, I want to sell my property. My neighbor sold in 15 minutes for $730,000. I want to list at $735,000. The agent says, hey, I think that sounds great. Well, what happens? Do they sell their home now at $735,000 in 15 minutes? No, sits on the market for a little while. Now, some properties, if it's an A-plus property priced well, it still sells in 15 minutes. Yep. But we're at 735, and all of a sudden, it's been 15 days. It's been 30 days. Maybe it's been 35 days. What's going on with the seller? They are freaking out. They're calling the listing agent saying, why didn't my house sell in 15 minutes? I want better pictures. I want this. I want that. Okay. Now, the seller is upset. We've got a listing agent that's upset. They're considering a price reduction. Now, over here, we have a buyer that couldn't buy that $700,000 home in February because they didn't have $25,000, $30,000 appraisal gap or premium to pay. Now, this buyer says, well, when I wanted to buy that $700,000 home, rates were at 3%. Now, rates are at 5.5%. I'm really upset. So, this buyer is going to wait. We've got a listing over here that they're upset because they don't have a buyer. We've got a buyer that's waiting for things to improve. This is probably 60% of the people I talk to right now. Somewhere in the middle, are buyers that say, you know what? The world is not ending. I still want to buy real estate. And this middle segment is going to say, you know what? I understand that rates have gone up, but I was frustrated three months ago, and now I want to buy a new property. I still want to buy a new property. These buyers are going to go to this listing and say, you know what, Mr. Mrs. Listing Agent, Mr. Mrs. Seller, 
we would like to offer you a little bit of a lower price, maybe $7.30, maybe $7.25. We would also like to ask you to pay 3% of the sales price towards our closing costs so that we can buy down our interest rate using our 2-1 buy-down program to still have a rate that starts in the threes. That's going to allow us to ease into the higher monthly payment and not have such sticker shock from a 3% rate to a 5.5% rate. And I think that that disparity is there and there's a few people that are going to take advantage of it. But over the next 90 to 120 days, these buyers are going to understand this is the new normal. These sellers are going to understand this is the new normal and they're going to come to some sort of market equilibrium. But in the interim, there's an opportunity for buyers and sellers to come to some agreement and the buyers can still get really good deals and the sellers can still sell their home right now in a relatively fast fashion. And, and walk away fairly happy. I mean, it's yes. a ton of equity, right? So does a really long answer, but I think there's that disparity. And I think in 90 to 120 days, that disparity goes away and it's going to be a regular market of, okay, this is my list price. Maybe we'll take a little bit of a reduction. You can negotiate on appraisal. You can negotiate on inspection, et cetera. And it's going to be a quote, normal market. So do you think we're going to go back to having the normal seasonality changes that we typically have? Or do you think there's still going to be some some lag behind from what's going on in the market now through kind of what we typically see in the fall and winter? Um, I think, yes, that we will go back to normal seasonality. But because it has slowed right now, because so many buyers are waiting, mm -hmm. some of those buyers are going to say, oh, it's October. And my yep. rents have gone up. I still want to buy something. Those people may come into the market in October when they may have traditionally bought right now. That's kind of what I think as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think we're going to see a lot of people come off the sidelines a little bit later in the year. Once again, as the dust settles 90 to 120 days and they're like, okay, cool. Now I can go buy a house. I'm ready now. And I think what everyone's forgetting <clears throat> the last two years, three years, four years, that's been abnormal, right? Yep. Everyone sure. forgets that the last few years are the anomaly. This, the way the market is now when buyers and sellers can negotiate and you don't sell your house in five minutes that's more normal. The last, our recent memory, that's been the weird time, but it's gone on for long enough that it feels normal. Yep. And the other side of that is that's when it's kind of come into play of having a really good real estate agent, whether it's a listing agent or a buyer's agent to coach their clients through that and help everybody get to the closing table. And you have to have a great lender. Yeah, that too. So when, when you describe those people in the middle and your example here, how do you think move up buyers are doing right now? Because let's say six months ago, I put my house on the market. It sells in 15 minutes as your example. And I get over ask, right? So now I've got effectively more purchasing power, cash in hand to go buy. And my rate was two and a half percent. So today I likely don't get 50, 60, 70, hundred over like we saw in the spring. Do, do I make it up on the purchase on the move up by being able to negotiate there or what are your thoughts there? I don't know that you're ever going to be in the market where you can take advantage of the seller's market and the buyer's market right. at the same time, right? You give up one or the other. If you're in a strong seller's market, you get a premium, but then when you go buy the new property, you have to pay a premium because you're in a strong seller's market. Sure. So I don't know that if you're if you're in move up, you're right now is kind of balanced, right? Right? Or balanced-ish, maybe still a little bit tipped towards, towards the seller. The seller. Um, but if you're moving up in a 60-day window from one property to the other, Unless you're moving to a different location, I don't know that you can take advantage one way or the other. Yep. Okay. And I think it'll probably be 
turn out to be pretty good for move up buyers right now, because like Joe said, they're at that point now where they have some negotiating power on the buy side and they're still taking advantage of what cash they got out of the sale of their house. Right. So go find that property that's been sitting on the market for two weeks, three weeks and say, Hey, let's make a deal, you know? Right. And it probably still have some, and what do you see in Preston uh, as a seller? I probably still have some negotiation to get a free rent back for 60 days or something like that. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely still a lot of flexibility when it comes to that. But what we're also seeing is that it really depends on the property. Some properties are sitting on the market for a couple of weeks. Other ones, I mean, just for instance, last Friday, I got one under contract that we were competing with four other offers and it was over asking and it wasn't significantly over asking, right? But there was still some competition going on there, but we were able to structure an offer that was favorable to the sellers and the buyer and get everybody to come to the same page. Yeah. yeah. Not everything is sitting for 30 days. No, right? that's an important point. Right. Some properties are still selling in 15 minutes, but they're priced appropriately. They're well-marketed. They're in hot A plus areas. But if you're not that perfect primo listing, it may sit for a little while and that's fully appropriate, right? Selling a property in 10 minutes. That's the weird that's thing. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not like car insurance, right? <laughs> yeah. right. It's not. Your 15 <laughs> minute quote there. I feel like I'm getting an insurance quote. Right. <laughs> So something I want to loop into here um, that I'm interested in how this plays out and, you know, we chatted about it, but there's no data or headlines out there about it is how the increased rents will impact people. We know the prices, higher rates have bumped people out of the buyer pool, but I think we're talking before we hit the, the uh, record button on here, about how much rents are up in Miami, just in general all over the place. Right. Well, great. Your monthly payment goes up because of uh, your monthly or your, your monthly payment goes up because of the interest rate. But if your rent jumps up $400 a month, I mean, not good either direction, but how does that impact people saying, well, crap, renting is not a better deal right now? Nope. Yeah. And I think the rent increases that people are going to see, especially from more institutional landlords, uh, apartments or big property management companies, uh, people are going to be caught off guard by, by those. We're yep. a little yep. over two years into when COVID first started, you couldn't even collect rent, let alone increase your rents during COVID, right? So you basically lost a full year there. And even into the uh, maybe the spring of 2021, you might have said, ah, you know, it's, it's been hard for people. You know, people are still out of work. Still a little uneasy. Like, yeah, maybe we don't raise it yet, right? Yeah. But now I'm reading about people bidding for rents and mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily in Denver, but I did the last report I read from the Apartment Association in Denver was how high the rents were going up so quickly here which generally will trickle down into uh, private landlords and single family homes, right? So the example we were talking about before we recorded was, uh, you know, you're, you decided to come off this, you went on the sidelines because interest rates went up and you couldn't compete. So now maybe in the fall, you're going to go to look to renew your lease and your rent's going to go up $500 a month, which, you know, from 2,700 to 3,200 isn't unreasonable in a crazy uh, market rent market like we'll likely see. But it's still a good chunk of change. For sure. Yeah. Right. But, but that may then drive you to Chris's point back to, okay, maybe we should go look at buying again because that payment could actually be lower than, um, or, or even if it's the same or a hundred dollars more, sure. right? At that point, you're better off to, if you can afford it, right? try and buy something and get yourself in a house and not pay somebody else's rent, you know? And I think that goes to my analogy earlier that there's this disparity between buyers and sellers. That's part of what's going to move the buyers to reality that, oh, my rent went up, right? So the folks that are waiting on the sidelines right now, I understand that there's uncertainty, but very high likelihood your rent is going to go up in the future. So yeah. does it make sense to think about buying a property now? while there's this disparity and you can take advantage of it. Sure. So random question for you guys, assuming we're in a recession or going to recession at some point, you know, jobs uh, go away, inflation does what inflation will do. We've talked about concerns about prices dropping. Are the concerns from anyone or when you follow about rents dropping or different segments of the market growing? 
because during COVID, the Class A rent market went up dramatically. I don't know the percent, right. but compared to that versus like um, you know working class or you know other you know non uh, those higher end rents, those grew up a lot faster. So any concern about rents dropping or different segments of the market, how they'll perform or not? I don't have any concern about rents dropping because generally, what happens if rents rent? It's difficult in the market for rents to decrease. Generally, what you do is you give out more seller, cons- uh, more uh, landlord concessions, right? Remember, you used to yep. drive down Leedsdale and there was a big sign, $1 for your first month's rent and a free TV, right? But then your rent is still $2,000 a month, okay? So they give you these concessions to get you in the door. You drive by there now and they're like, you got to pay first month's, last month's, a security deposit, yeah. and your rent is still $2,000 a month. Well, and there's bidding wars for rentals right, right now. Right, exactly. Like, that's been like as... People have gone to like, I've it's seen more headlines shift from yeah. the real estate yes. market from like purchasing, <laughs> right? To the renting side of things of like, now it's caught up with that. So, and I don't see that stopping anytime soon. And rents generally trail price appreciation, right? We've had two years of run-ups and price appreciation, couldn't have run-ups and rents due to COVID, due to uncertainty. Right. Now all that's going to catch up. So all the landlords that have been frustrated, oh, these properties don't cash flow. I can't make any money with this. You know what? It might not make money on paper today. But remember our disparity between buyers and sellers. Let's buy it today. I understand it's not a home run today, but when rents go up 20% at your next renewal, you might be pretty darn happy that you have it. Yep. So I don't think rents are going to go down, um, particularly if you're in class A or B, because oftentimes what happens if you have a recession and there's fewer people um, that are employed is your A properties borrow from the B tenants. B tenants move up. C tenants move up. Now, if you have a C minus property, you might have some vacancy, right? Sure. But if that, as long as that's not what you have, you can always borrow from the lower end properties up into your property. And generally those people will pay for it. Travis pressing guys, you got any comments? I, I don't see anything that concerns me about rents dropping. I think that all the data we're looking at right now says that whatever recession we're either in or going into is going to be fairly short. It's not going to be, you know, like the great, the great one we went through, you know, back in 2008, where it's going to last, you know, a year or year and a half or whatever. I think it'll be pretty short. And I think that with the demand where it's at and, you know, still the limited supply in the rental market that it's, it's going to sustain itself. Yeah, and for rents, I don't necessarily see them going down. I, in fact, I think they'll continue to go up. But as a landlord, I'm wanting to make sure I get well-qualified individuals, even if I'm taking yes. a little bit less in rent, because we are already seeing layoffs in some uh, industries, uh, some real estate industries, some yep. tech stuff. And I want to know what their ability is to pay, right? So I want to know that they're not maxed out at 50%, you know, debt to, to rent or whatever to be able to make the payment. Um, so I'm still going to make good decisions there. And maybe you don't raise your rents as fast if you have somebody tight because turnovers cost money, but maybe you do turn a bunch of stuff over and just get a lot more rent. So I think there'll be good opportunities there. Mm-hmm. A follow-up question on here. Um, with the way the government helped, you know, build out so many renters during COVID and that went to landlords, has that shifted anyone's perspective? Oh, if we have bad times, tenants can't pay, hey, the government will bail out now. I've had that thought. I'm not counting on it, but I'm like, they did it. They did it once. They said Why the don't they do it again? Because right? <laughs> that's what people expect now. I'm curious when when the economy goes sideways or goes down again, what the government will do because they've set the precedent now, and a lot of people, um, you know, want that again or will need it again. I'm curious. I, course i have no crystal ball, but I'm very curious how this will play out. Yeah, what scared me with that though is that 
Would you ever have believed that the Centers for Disease Control would tell you that you couldn't evict somebody? I mean, the, the yeah, city... Yeah, dude, that was my plan B for real estate investing. <laughs> Come on. Don't, that's don't where you, the crystal yeah. ball was. Come so on. That's, that's what's, <laughs> what's interesting is that I think there's some precedent in, in stimmy checks and rent relief and all that, which really was just landlord relief, which ultimately was bank relief, right? I mean, it was mm-hmm. ultimately like bailing out the banks. Um, and, and it was a little flow through and everybody scraped a little off the top. But the fact that the government told me that I couldn't evict somebody, that's what was scary to me because, and we always talk about this reserves is everything and being a landlord, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. you couldn't carry your property for six months. And I had in that time, somebody who got behind on the rent in February of 2020, and then they just threw their hands up and they collected, you know, probably $6,000 between them and the kids and stimulus checks. And I never saw a dime of that. Tried to get them on the ERAP or the um, the protection, the programs that were out and the, the government moved painfully slow. And I was just servicing that payment for six or eight months. Uh, finally, their lease came due and I just didn't renew. Um, and you were able to do that in COVID uh, at some point. But uh, the fact that the government said you couldn't evict somebody was scarier to me than the benefit of them potentially putting some money into some coffers that were really difficult to get to. So I don't know. Joe? I don't see that that's a precedent. And I go back to the um, Bear Stearns, and you guys know I love the great housing bust, but the Bear Stearns and uh, Lehman Brothers bailouts, right? So Bear Stearns... um, For everybody that doesn't remember, in 2008, Chase bought Bear Stearns with tons of government support. Like three months later, Lehman Brothers was going under and everybody said the government will support them because they just did it for Chase and Bear Stearns. And what happened? They said, nope, we're not doing it again. And Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. So I don't think it's a precedent. I think they're now seeing the repercussions of the unintended consequences of all the stimulus and they won't do it again. I would agree with Joe. I think it's going to be really hard for them to try and do something like that again. I think that, you know, if they do have to come to terms and and start helping people out, it'll be done in a much different way. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. So let's move to stats, because normally we start off with stats at the beginning of the show, getting the questions, but you came in the blaze with questions, so we had to like <laughs> scratch that itch over, over here. <laughs> uh, it's plus, you know, variety is a spice of life. Um, so let's go through some stats here. Preston, what stat or stats piqued your interest in Denver this month? I think one of the big headlines that we've all seen and that, you know, is really interesting to me is the fact that inventory um, and active listings is up 66% from last month and 94% from a year ago, but we still only have 6,000 active listings in the market. Mm-hmm. So what stood out to me was I'm looking at the chart now. It's the, uh, it's like a 15-year chart that shows active inventory and shows closing or contract. And we'll put this in the show notes, but right around like Q2, Q3 of 2020 is when we actually had more properties under contract than active listings. So basically the two lines inverted and under contracts have been above active listings up until this last month or two. And we're finally starting to see active listings go above under contracts back to normal market. And you said we had 6,000 properties on the market. Well, what did we have in the fall of 2019? 9500 9, yeah and that was still a not of real estate yeah and that was still not you know in a buyer's favor at that point i mean it was definitely more balanced in in a seller's market which we've you know been in for a long time now mm-hmm. travis joe any stats jump out to you guys um i think the big one and we touched on this uh before we hit record was premiums right 
contracts that closed in June of 2022, the average premium to list price was 3.1%. So if a property was listed for $300,000, it sold at 309. And everybody's like, well, how is that possible? Inventory was up 66% and 94% year over year. Why are buyers paying a premium? Well, it's important to remember anything that closed in June likely went under contract sometime late April or May. Mm -hmm. So the market had not truly shifted at that time. I think we're going to start to see premiums flatten out. I don't think we're going to see discounts, but I think we'll see premiums of, you know, half a percent, one percent, two percent. Those are still out there. And it's important to remember if you're buying a property, don't take these stats as the end all be all for everything for your particular property, right? Something might be a hot A plus listing, and you're like, well, I'm only going to offer 95% list price, of list. So I'm offer yeah. 95% of list, and then be shocked when it goes 10% over. That still happens for individuals, right? Yep. These are these are gross wide stats across the entire market, um, not property by property. So I think premiums is the thing that jumped out to me. Travis? Yeah. So along those lines, and as we discussed before jumping on, is that we won't really know for a couple more months how that shakes, right? Just based on what you said about things that have been under contract in uh, April or May now closing or showing that premium. And could there be a discount to to uh, list price at time of purchase? Maybe not, but it could be uh, as original list, right? As how that shakes. But the stat that stood out to me the most was just what we let off with there was uh, the 60 or 6,050 listings at on June 30th. And it's like, wow, that is up significant from the month before and way from the year prior. And so that's when we talked about when was the last time it was quote unquote normal 9,500 listings in the fall of, uh, or in, in, um, 2019. Remember the fall of 19 was interest rates started to creep up. The market slowed down just a little bit. It's still a seller's market. And when Chris was showing the chart for closed uh, transactions versus active listings, we are still right in line. Now, maybe two months from now, if that comes down, it could look a little different, but we're still right in line with the last, what's the chart show, 15 years of closing volume mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of like kind of that 10, 11, when it was a little slower. We we're, I mean, the, the chart is just almost the same every single year, except for tracking up just a tad bit. So it feels like we're still going to have the absorption for the listings that are here today. And historically, and I don't particularly like this number, but uh, but it's here, 15,000 listings in June is quote unquote, uh, the average for long term, right? That's the average. So we're still significantly under that. Now that was maybe artificially high through the end of the Great Recession, but uh but it's a good indicator. You know, if we start to see 10,000 listings, that could that could be interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, versus where we sit today. Do you think it's going to be interesting, even though there's still a ton of demand? Well, demand is to be seen, I suppose. Yeah. And maybe demand comes back once we have the realization. Uh, and we talked about this last month. The comment I'd made was that investors accepted higher rates immediately, continued on its business. Yep. Home buyers, it was the difference between buying 750 and 650, right? And that's emotional. And so you had your eyes on a neighborhood or a a school district and and the type of house you were gonna get, maybe you're under contract on a new build and all of a sudden you couldn't do it. That hurt, right? To the investor, they said, okay, I'm gonna make a little less cash flow or I have to get a better deal on the property. Or put some more money down. Exactly, it's a business. And so maybe some in the fall or even next spring, some of those people come back as they come out of their leases or decide it's gonna be a good time to sell or they still have a need to move uh, and we can get to the the absorption. So I guess the demand, I believe, in my heart of hearts, I believe it's still there, but I think that we there's still some acceptance happening in the interest rates. And now they're starting to tick down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's an opportunity to get a half a point lower than a month ago 
and a better price on the property. And mm -hmm. maybe it equals out a little bit. And I think one really important point in the short term, demand can slow down because of increased interest rates. Guess what doesn't change or guess what interest rates don't impact? People getting married, people getting yep. divorced, people having babies, people reasons they need to away. move. The real reasons why yep. people transact. People, home buyers, now, now investors might transact based on the numbers, but home buyers transact based on the changes in their life. I'm getting married, I'm having a baby, I'm moving, I'm being relocated for a job. All these reasons. Now, in the short term, I might say, oh, I'm getting married, we're just going to survive in our one bedroom apartment um, because interest rates are too high. But before long, that apartment becomes really, really small then we're gonna transact, right? So interest rates increasing put a short-term slowdown on demand, but not long-term, not, not medium-term yep. even. So going some spring stats here, I'm gonna do my best to fill in for Jenny since she can't make it this month. Um, but springs is basically seeing the same thing in Denver. All the stuff we're talking about now, we're seeing the same things in springs. And actually their increased inventory is a bigger percent increase than what we've seen in Denver. <laughs> so like there, this is for homes, their total active single family homes was 777 in June of 21. It's 2100 in this June. That's like a, almost a 200% increase. Last month was about 1400. So they even had the bigger percent wise increase than Denver did. Same trends. But the other thing to put this in context, I think it was in June at some point, both markets crossed over one month's worth of inventory. <laughs> right. yep. Like we're talking about how much inventory has grown and all these listings, all this. But into context, we're at like 1.2 to 1.4 months inventory. That is still incredibly damn low. So it kind of like helped ground some of that stuff as well. Now, we'll, that will definitely grow next month. I think between seasonality and interest mm -hmm. rates I've talked about, we will see that grow more. But we're still a very, very low month in inventory. All right. So last question I want to throw by you guys here. Uh, another thing that Travis inspired when he came in here, uh, there was someone on Instagram you're following, uh, banker, investor, finance guy, you know, thought leader in the space. And basically the punchline was questioning how a lot of people in real estate saying, hey, real estate's not in a bubble. We're going to see continued strong increase, strong demand, strong prices, all this stuff, a lot of the same stuff that we're, we're, we're talking, talking about, about as yeah. well. But do we have rose-colored glasses on? Are we drinking our own Kool-Aid because we're in the industry? Hard question to ask. Worthwhile. Like, yeah. it's fun to ask. I think that's part of why I came in here, guns, guns blazing, blazing, as you described. <laughs> um, because as I was listening, we'll put the the handle in the show notes. Uh, Chris, uh, it's like Nahibi or something like that. Um, I think he's a sharp guy. I think he puts out good content. But what it was interesting was I started to have this moment where I was like, Oh, everybody I know is either an agent, a lender, or an investor, and we're all saying the same thing. And this guy was actually picking on Dave Ramsey a bit because Dave Ramsey had been posting in the socials like real estate prices aren't coming down, this and that. And then on the last screen is click here to sign up with one of my preferred real estate agents in your area. So the idea was like, he's a fiduciary to a lot, millions of people yep. saying, don't worry, prices aren't going down. Still a good time to buy. Now click this link where I'm going to benefit from this affiliate link and get paid when you go buy a house. And that's where it really slapped me. I was like, wow, like, am I drinking the Kool-Aid here? Am I <laughs> coming here last month and saying, 
no bubble, no problem. It's all good. And uh, <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're like, well, yeah, oh, I'm kind of grabbing my seat a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, uh, Joe, are you sure, man? Like, what are you seeing? You know? <laughs> and uh, actually, Joe and I, we had lunch last week and and I we, we were kind of talking about the market. And I said, you know what? I, I think we got to take one out of Charles's books. For those that don't know, uh, uh, Charles Roberts, longtime mentor for everyone here. Yep. Yep. He would say, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a crystal I don't know ball. Where it's going. <laughs> you got to do. You got to make your own decision, and that's kind of where we left lunch. Was like, let like it's almost like who cares? Do what's best for yourself. But I did have this moment where I was wondering if we were all just getting sucked into the information. What do you guys think? All right, so we are not in a real estate bubble, and I can tell you why. The universe doesn't love me that much <laughs> because in 2008, I didn't have the skill or the capital to take advantage of that massive shift of wealth. And now that I've got skill and capital, the universe does not love me enough to make sure that we're in a bubble again. <laughs> Can't be that side. Can't be that. Uh, yeah, case in point. That's fair. <laughs> um, I mean, I ask that question a lot because, you know, we all have, we all own real estate. We also all own businesses and stocks and lots of other investments as well. And it comes down, I always look at, hey, if I have capital to deploy in just for all of Chris Lopez and, you know, my family and all that, where's the best place to put it? I still can't think of a better segment than either real estate or betting on myself in a business. Sure. And a yep. business is not, you know, that's very different than an investment. I consider that an investment. That's a job. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I look at pulling my capital, I come back to, you know what? The two things I want to do the next 12 months is I'm going to invest in real estate and invest myself via business. Um, not huge on stocks and bonds right now. Not never been huge on crypto, other investments. I just, I'm like, I can't, when I look at things, I don't see a better thing than real estate. Now it will perform like the last couple of years. No, I don't have those expectations. Sure. But when you look at the long term, right? What is it going to, what's going to happen in 10 years? Right. And that, that's the whole thing that I look at when it, when it comes to the real estate side of things, obviously being in it all day and looking at the data and all that kind of stuff. But when you take a, a, you know, more zoomed out, bigger picture, you know, a higher level look at real estate, even if we do have a couple of years where things aren't as good as they have been, or they do go down a little bit, real estate always rebounds. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of looking at it in the long term and, and seeing what's best for you. Yeah. Have you ever met somebody that said, boy, I really wish I wouldn't have bought that property 10 years ago and rented it out? Not one. Right. They all say, I wish I would have done it. Now, or some, no, I wish I bought more. Or I, I wish more. I bought more. Yeah. yeah. Now, sometimes people will say, boy, I'm really struggling with this deal because I've had it for six months and there's problems with it. But over the long term, which I think all of us here are long-term investors, and I think we counsel a lot of our clients as long-term yep. investors, I've never met somebody that says, boy, I wish I wouldn't have bought that property 10 years ago and rented it out. And what about you, Preston, specific to the question about maybe the rose-colored glasses? You work with people doing house hacks, buying, buying and selling investment properties, mm -hmm. and builders doing premium, luxury, high-dollar spec stuff. So, yep. like, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I think real estate will always be a great place. I don't see prices going down. Um, I think that real estate is as Chris mentioned, probably one of the best places that you can park your money, whether that's for your primary residence and just, you know, building wealth overall, investing in it. I think the development space is great. I think there's going to be some changes coming in the development space for sure. Um, we're already seeing a little bit of a slowdown in the high-end luxury stuff, but again, the market will be the market and it's going to continue to do its thing. And you just got to look at the opportunity and, and see what's there. And, you know, I think for us, obviously we're in it all day, every day. So, you know, we have a little bit of a, a better, you know, finger on the pulse of what's going on and how things are changing. But at the end of the day, I think the long-term outlook is, is is always going to be good for real estate. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If you got that 10 year time frame, yep. even five years plus, you're going to be in a good, good position. And it comes back down to my mind. I bullet things. I'm a keep it simple, stupid guy. 
Econ 101, supply and demand. We just don't have enough supply of properties for people to mm-hmm. buy. Uh, don't have supply for people to rent. So yes, we are seeing less people go out there and buy, but those people are not evaporating. They still <laughs> no, live. They still have places they either need to live or have a roommate or go move back in with mom and dad or mom and dad moving with their adult kids, whatever it's like. Those people are still there. The demand is still there. Well, and I think the problem is finding the supply. Even if we went to a more balanced market with, say, 15,000 homes on the market, I don't think that's enough to take care of what we've missed for the last five, six, eight years. The pent-up demand. Yeah, the pent-up demand, right? And builders are not building enough. It's too difficult to build right now, and especially at scale. So I think that it's something that is going to continue to be, you know, something we talk about for a long time. I agree. Great. Awesome, guys. Well, this was another great podcast. Fun. Travis, thanks for bringing the questions and ideas, man. <laughs> and thanks, yeah, for the, the, yeah. th- thanks for bringing the new stash, yeah. dude. Yeah. 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 Right. Zoom in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll be back here next month, everyone. Bring your questions, debate us on comments, email us, put in the YouTube comments. We love having fun, healthy debates like this. Um, so thank you, Preston. And thanks, of course, Chris. Preston's with Envision, helping them buy and sell real estate. Travis with Renovo for some creative direct financing on all types of loan products. And Joe Massey with Castle & Cook for long-term financing. So guys, thank you so much. We'll see you next month. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.